Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to six, A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. We're back with another episode of 4-6 to six with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. Bill Landis joined by new, newly minted Texan Ari Wasserman. You got mad at me last week for letting the cat out of the bag. Now I'm just leaning into it totally. You are you got a new uh, backdrop behind you, some nice uh, white shaker cabinets, some overhead lighting. Looks like you're, you're in a nice place there. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful place, but my favorite thing about Texas so far is there's a sun here. There's a sun. Um, yeah, the sun's out here right now. Yeah, There's no sun in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, there is, but only on days when it's swampy and the humidity is 115% <laughs> and the temperature's already 91, and it feels like you're on the surface of the sun. The only day that it's super sunny in Columbus is the day of the spring game and the first opening day of the uh, – college football season uh just so everybody's nice and miserable in the stands other than that yeah you know, ohio so. state florida atlantic gets nice and toasty <laughs> that's the only day of the year <laughs> where the weather's nice and you sweat your ass off walking over to interviews after the game drench drench and yeah. sweat asking sweat asking ryan day about some game that didn't matter that's our life oh yeah i would very much enjoy that life right now hopefully we get to do that I would very much uh, like to walk to an interview room sweating. Yeah. Also. I hate, I hate I, uh, it when I would give anything for it at the moment. I always complain about it every year, especially at the spring game. Like, why does it have to be the hottest day of the year every single time we're in this big cement building? But it sounds so much better than not sweating inside your apartment for six weeks straight. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know if... Uh you know, we don't know. We're, we're going to keep pretending like football is going to happen, and we hope that football is going to happen, and we're still writing stories like football is going to happen this fall. Um, but nobody really knows, and, and hopefully we'll get some clarity on that in the coming days and weeks 
But recruiting doesn't stop, right, Ari? You talk about that all the time. Isn't that your, isn't that your lead to your little uh, notebook every week? Recruiting never stops. Yeah, well, it's funny because you said we're writing stories that football's going to happen. I just spent all day reporting a story about how football's not <laughs> happening in California. So. <laughs> it's happening in some places. Uh, which, I'm, yeah, it's happening uh, in some places like North Dakota. And then uh, I'm sure we'll jump into this a little bit more as we go through the podcast. But it is kind of, you know, on the Ohio State side of things, let's just talk like there's a football season because that's more fun. Yeah, I would, I would very much enjoy that. Uh, we have some recruiting news to get to in this episode. We have a really fun um, question that we got from a subscriber. We're not going to go full mailbag this week. We have that question. Maybe we'll get to one or two others. And then we also want to discuss a little bit about Bruce Feldman's Freaks List, which came out on Tuesday morning on The Athletic. I suggest you go read it. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to go read it, you can go to theathletic.com slash forward dash six, get you 40% off, and you can read about all the freaks. One of the one of my favorite tentpole items, I think, of the coming college football season, and it was nice to kind of see something that felt a little normal as we wait to figure out what happens with the year. So we'll get to that later, but first, sorry, let's start out with the recruiting news. Jordan Hancock, cornerback from Sewanee, Georgia, North Gwinnett High School, flips from Clemson to Ohio State. I think not a huge surprise. Ultimately, the, the result is not surprising me. The timing of it is a little surprising. But you've written a lot about this back-and-forth recruiting battle with Ohio State and Clemson. This is just sort of the latest chapter. Ohio State flips a player out of Clemson's class. We can talk a little bit about the impact on the class here shortly. But first, just give people a refresher on the Ohio State versus Clemson recruiting battle. I don't know if you're keeping score or not, but like where do things stand with those two programs going head-to-head? Yeah, I don't know if I'm keeping score. Uh, what I do think is interesting is watching um, Clemson fans kind of freak out about what's going on here. And I think it's like kind of an interesting dynamic for them because as as much as they've been the top program in the country the last three years, they haven't always been up in these circles in the recruiting world. And I think now Clemson fans are starting to get uh, accustomed to what it's like to have to go head-to-head with Ohio State and Alabama every time they want a prospect. And, like, this is stuff is going to happen the same way Ohio State lost a, a commitment to Alabama a few weeks ago before this. So um, right now I think Clemson has kicked Ohio State's ass in every realm of the sport, and I don't think there's anybody that can sit there and deny it. They've beat them on the field three times um, since I was on the beat. Uh, they've beaten them in recruiting by coming into Ohio and taking Jackson Carmen. And the only way that Ohio State is going to get over the hump, even though some people are probably banging their fist against their table right now saying, we did get over the hump because of such an interesting, weird Fiesta Bowl. This is the type of stuff that's going to have to happen. Um, and Jordan Hancock was the top player on Ohio State's board at the cornerback position since the beginning of the recruiting process. They lost him to Clemson after some visits in March, which was kind of shocking at the time, and then were able to get him back into the fold after Devontae Smith flipped to Alabama. So to me, uh, there's a lot of back and forths. Corey Foreman was another player that had committed to Clemson that was on Ohio State's board. Um, You know, Troy Stilato, there's a lot of intermixing, but I think that when you're talking about these two programs trying to be at the top of the sport, these are the types of players that they're all going to go after. And I think you see Ohio State and Clemson in the, you know, in the mix for all of both of the teams' top 10 prospects coming into any particular class moving forward. So big win for Ohio State here, not only because they beat Clemson out to get the guy, but this is the guy that was on their board. And I think that's the thing that should take precedent, right? Getting the guy that you have identified as the 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 crown of a certain position group, and Ohio State did that with Hancock. I kind of forgot sort of how deep this 
recruiting battle went. And I, I don't know if you take it all the way back to Deshaun Watson or not. I think you can because Ohio State invested so much into getting him and then they didn't get him. And then their quarterback recruiting got a little funky. And that was a 2014, right? The 2014 class. Um, but even more recently, I, I forgot about like Kane Patterson, the linebacker they had committed, who was like the only guy who left when all this stuff happened with Zach Smith. And the program was looking a little shaky, and he ended up going to Clemson. Right. Matt Bockhorst was a lineman from Cincinnati who ended up going to Clemson. That Ohio State was was in on at least a little bit, but this cycle it's been crazy. Like yeah, you mentioned Stellato, Hancock, J.K. Johnson was a guy that both teams won it. And Ohio State got him. Bo, Bo Collins. Collins, Barrett Carter, Emeka Ibuka. Like they're going head to head a lot in this class, and at the moment, like Clemson has Carter and Stellato. Ohio State has Hancock and Johnson. Um, they're probably going to get Igbuka, I would think. Foreman is kind of out of the picture, even though he was in the mix before. But it's like it's – we talked a lot before about – or many, many – not many years ago, but a few years ago about Ohio State and Alabama always going head-to-head and, like, what that would look like. And I almost feel like that never really came to fruition. Like, maybe maybe here and there, but it never felt super consistent. And this, to me, feels more like what we envisioned Ohio State and Alabama, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, like, banging heads. Right, and I think it's kind of happening this way. Um, and – you know, the, the lead to the mailbag that I wrote that's going up on uh, Tuesday morning on The Athletic was about how Alabama is now also in the mix of maybe take the number one spot in the class this year after being in the 50s five weeks ago. And, like, the fact that these are the three teams that are going at it is super fun and super interesting. Um, but Ohio State and Alabama don't go head-to-head nearly as much as Clemson and Ohio State do. And I don't know if that's just because of geography or type of prospect or whatever, but I think Ohio State's biggest rival right now is Clemson. And John Hayes, our producer, I think you could probably make that the headline (laughs) of this podcast. Because I think you could even go back. Like I wrote a story at the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, Bill Landis and I were in the same room um, partially when I was writing it, so it turned out to be great. Um, And it was about how Clemson took Ohio State's spot after the 2014 national championship uh, in the race to beat Alabama and, and to overtake Alabama. And I think right now you can say that Clemson has done that, right, Bill? Would you agree with that? 100%. And now we're in a situation where if you want to go back and identify the roots of how that happened to Ohio State, I think you could begin with Deshaun Watson. And as as things – because like if they would have gotten him, Urban Meyer would have walked into oncoming traffic and dodged cars to get that guy. And – you know, they didn't get a quarterback that was um, supposedly going to be the uh, future of the program in that class, obviously. And, you know, things kind of worked out well for Ohio State in, in what happened with their quarterback position. But Jason Watson was better than them. Maybe. I mean, you, I don't know. He was better than JT Barrett at football. I think that's a fair thing to say. And that's not a knock on JT Barrett. It's just Deshaun Watson was awesome. And if Ohio State would have gotten him, I like to think, like, what – and we're going to be doing some alternate history stuff, I think, later on in this podcast. But I think that's a really good place to start when you think about the the genesis of this rivalry. Before we get to that, and that is a good tease, uh, just quickly with adding Hancock to the class, Ohio State's at 19 commitments. Uh, the class is still awesome, still ranked number one in the country. Probably closes the book on cornerback recruiting, I would think. They have three corners now with Hancock, J.K. Johnson, Denzel Burke, a couple other guys who are like tweeners, could be corners, could be safeties. So... Defensive back recruiting, probably done unless they get Derek Davis. 
Um, 19 commitments, like I said, probably think they're going to end up taking about 25, which means there's still some room to, to fill the class. And we've talked about the needs before and, and some of the names. I don't know if we need to rehash that, but it's it's probably looking like a couple of linemen on both sides of the ball, Egbuka, receiver, maybe a tight end, maybe a safety, maybe a linebacker. But the, the spots are dwindling here as Ohio State tries to cap, put a cap on its number one overall recruiting class. I, I You mentioned Alabama, so I think we should talk touch on that briefly and how Alabama has closed the gap here relatively quickly. How has your confidence level changed, I guess, or if, if it's changed at all, um, relative to whether Ohio State's going to end up with the number one class in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I broke down the numbers this morning before we started recording this, so I can just go look at them. Alabama has 15 verbal commitments, five of which are ranked in the top 50 overall players, and eight of which are ranked in the top 125. Their average player rating is 94.9418. Uh, um, Ohio State, after getting Hancock, um, has 19 commitments, seven in the top 50 overall players, and 13 in the top 125. Um, and uh, their average player rating is 9493. Um, and that it would be the best average player rating in the history of recruiting rankings dating back to 2000. So, like right now, Ohio State is in position, but Ohio State also has four more commitments. So, um, I know that Alabama here is going to be picking up another five-star prospect next weekend, so things are starting to get a little close. But when you look at the board that you put together for the top five or top ten remaining prospects, you're looking at a bunch of top hundred players. And I think Ohio State has a chance to add three, four, maybe even five more top hundred players to the team, to the class that they already have. So right now, Ohio State still has four more. I think um, based on the numbers I just gave, top hundred player commits um, than Alabama. With Ekbuka and um, Tui Malo uh, still out there, and you know Hancock was another top hundred player. I just think that like right now, there's no. I mean, there's a scenario if there's some flips or Ohio State loses some guys and they don't get any of the Seattle players, but I just think Ohio State has a clear path to number one. But I also think it's important to make this distinction too because in 2017, Ohio State didn't win the recruiting crown. But they had the best overall player ranking, and I would say Ohio State's recruiting class in 17 was better than Alabama's, even if they didn't win it. So, like, I think that once you get to this point where you have two teams in a position to potentially beat the record for highest average player rating in the history of recruiting, it doesn't really matter who's number one and number two. It's all semantics at that point. It's like comparing a Rolls-Royce Phantom to a Maybach. I don't know which one you'd rather have, but I'd take both of them and feel great about it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, I agree with that for the most part. And I always look at the player average player rating more than I look at the overall class score. And the class score was Florida in 2010, I think, has, has the highest class score. Uh, I don't even know if Ohio State can get that, even if it adds all of its uh, guys, because Florida had 28 commits, I think, in that class. Um, but I also think that there is something to finally finishing number one in terms of the overall score, just like seeing your logo at the top of that list on two, four, seven, it just feels like they've been chipping away at that forever. And I, I agree with you. I do think there's a scenario where maybe they don't finish in that spot and it doesn't mean the class is bad. The class is still awesome. It's still going to be the best class I've ever signed at Ohio state and one of the best classes ever signed anywhere, but it would be a little bit of a letdown. I think if you look at that list in February and for some reason, Alabama, because I got one more five stars in the number one spot, even if your average player rating is higher, even if you like Ohio State's class a little more, I do think being being number one matters a little bit because they've been they've been working toward it for so long, and the idea that there are things that are out of their control partly because there's like no visits and who knows how that's going to shake things up. But they had so much momentum in the spring and everyone was like, "Holy shit, here it comes!" Like they're finally going to do it. Ryan Day is going to do the thing that Urban Meyer 
couldn't quite pull off in his time here, and then like it doesn't happen in the end, that would kind of suck. Yeah, I mean, it would suck for people who are excited about like the bragging rights, especially if there's no games this year. You want to at least have something that you won. Um, right now, Ohio State has four or five star commitments. Um, Alabama has three five stars. Ohio State has 12 four stars, and Alabama has nine. Again, Ohio State has four more commitments than Alabama. Um, but I think Ohio State's going to do it. I don't. I don't. I think Alabama has made a crazy charge, and the fact that they've jumped from like 55 to two in five <laughs> weeks is just a affirmation that we should never question Nick Saban, even for a second. Um, but the overall scores and the points, um, though impacted by the number of commitments, Ohio State still has a pretty comfortable lead. And I played with the class calculator that you love so much. It's the best. And even if they they add another five-star prospect next week, which it looks like they will, um, they still are considerably behind Ohio State in, in the recruiting rankings. And there are just too many good players on Ohio State's board still that um, that are still out there. And Obviously, the huge news this week that Alabama got the Brockermeyer brothers, twins, um, one of which is a top five player overall, is going to be a huge boost in the rankings. But, you know, Ohio State's still very much in the mix for two top ten overall players on top of what they already have. And, like, right now, if you think Alabama can jump Ohio State, that's fine. But I think they're a heavy underdog in that regard. I think they're going to pull it off, too. The only thing that would change my mind is if – I think they still need – I think they need one offensive lineman to feel okay and two, I think, to feel pretty good. And that's like either Tristan Lay or J.C. Latham, I think that's somehow flip him from Alabama, or Jagger Burton, uh, the interior offensive lineman who's considering Ohio State, Kentucky. If they don't get any of those three and then they're left in a position where they have to start taking like some guys in-state who are ranked a little lower like they did in the 2020 class to fill that group out, then like then you're talking about taking players who might be fine in the end and, and develop well and, and be exactly who you want them to be, but will we'll bring down your average score in a way that – they could knock Ohio State off that top spot. So that that would be the only thing. Otherwise, I think they're in good shape with the top, two top ten guys you're talking about, um, Tywell Malone, who's a very highly regarded defensive tackle too. And if they get a linebacker, it's going to be a really good linebacker. If they get a safety, it's going to be a really good safety. So the only thing I think that could bring them down is, is maybe some, some misses, if you want to label them that, on the offensive line. And if Ohio State somehow um, flips uh, J.C. Latham, which – I don't even know if that's even a reality anymore, but if that happens, I think that's just the one thing that would need to happen for it to be the nail in the coffin. Yeah, if that happens, good luck to any uh, subsequent Ohio State coaching steps trying to match what they pulled off this year. It'd be a hell of a job. But if they, if they got Latham in this fairy tale yeah. land, Latham, um, Tuimalo, and Egbuka all in the same class to add this up, would that be eight? That'd be uh, seven five-star prospect commits, which Ohio State did, I think, in 2017, right? It was... It was at least five. It was five or six, yeah. Uh, Ohio State had five five stars uh, in 2017, which is still their best class of all time, and this would be two more five stars than that if they did that. Not impossible. Not likely, but not impossible. But they still are on track right now, I think. Like what you what would you set the over-under for five stars in this class? Five and a half? Yeah. I think, yeah. It's pretty good. Pretty good job by Ryan Day. Speaking yeah. of Ryan Day, got a really good question from a subscriber, Eric W. Uh, send in a question on The Athletic. Again, if you want to send us questions, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you subscribed. Question's a little lengthy, so bear with me, but I think it could lead to some interesting conversation. Here it goes. He said, so much of Ohio State's current situation seems linked to the success of Ryan Day with Dwayne Haskins, which is especially interesting to me because Haskins was such a departure from the norm when he was recruited. 
He asked, was Day even involved in, in Haskins' recruitment, or was that just incredibly good fortune? And if Haskins had him blown up that year in an offense that was completely different from previous iterations, where would Ohio State be? Would Urban Meyer have retired without knowing that Day could take over? Would Day still be the coach, or would it be somebody else? A lot of layers to that. But I thought it was a really thoughtful question. It's really interesting. And we can break into the parts, I guess. And the, the easy one is this. Was Day involved in Haskins' recruitment? No. Haskins was in the class of 2016. Ryan Day didn't come on the staff until 2017. So in that way, it was good fortune. Um, and moving on from that, I guess we'll break it up into two pieces. One, is Ryan Day the head coach at Ohio State today already, do you think, if Dwayne Haskins doesn't blow up in a way where he's a one-and-done first-round pick starter? When I think of this question, I think of, like, back to the future. And, like, if you go back in time and change even the smallest detail, like, the entire future gets messed up, you know? And, like, as much as I want to say that if Ohio State didn't get Haskins, uh, who was the other quarterback they would have gotten in that class where they wanted Tristan, Tristan Wallace? Yeah, well, that's that's a whole other interesting discussion is what would have happened if they would have just taken Tristan Wallace, a quarterback, and not gotten Dwayne Haskins. And it would have been a – I think it would have been a mess. We can talk about that, too, if you want. Yeah, well, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because if Haskins didn't blow up based on what Ryan Day did with him, that's the entire premise of the question. What if there was no Dwayne Haskins to, to, to tool, then Ohio State might have had another player that Ryan Day could have worked with and things would have worked out great. But then you think about the Back to the Future thing and it's just like, well, if it's a different player, then it's a different world. And maybe Ohio State lost seven games <laughs> last year. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is like funny. We always joke about the deal with the devil um, that Ohio State made at some point in the uh, mid 2010s, but it's true. Like, it's like every single thing that has to to go into place to make stuff happen has happened for them. And you know, the reason why Ryan Day is in this position right now is because he was the um, Tom Herman at a time where they needed a coach. Tom Herman would have gotten the job if this all happened when after 2014, right? Like, because he was the hottest coaching candidate in America, and maybe he would have been able to skip Houston, and but there was nowhere to go because Urban was still here. So the fact that um, Ryan Day is the head coach isn't a surprise because I think the general direction of college football is to hire the young um, offensive mind who kind of has a a grip on on the future, and I think that Ryan Day fits that mold, but. Um, I still think he would have fit that mold if he were the head coach and Dwayne Haskins didn't exist. It just would have had to be with somebody else. Yeah. So I think I would say yes, but then the other half of me is no, back to the future. <laughs> He'd be like the head coach of the Patriots right now if something changed. Well, the, Like, I don't know. Yeah, the uh, I, I, I read this question and I thought about the story that, that you broke. You know, credit to you. That, that 2018 season, was it the – I think it was after the second game. You and I weren't working together yet. I think it was after the first game or second game where you reported that they were looking at Ryan Day already as coach and waiting. And that was before Dwayne Haskins blew up. Um, so that, like, I don't know if anything could have happened. Unless Dwayne Haskins went on the rest of that year to be truly awful, I don't know if anything would have changed that. I think, I think Dwayne Haskins' success as a quarterback is almost separate from the things that made Ryan Day an attractive candidate to be Ohio State's head coach to succeed Urban Meyer. Do you agree with that? Well, I think that we have to go back and break down exactly what Ryan Day brought to the table in terms of being a candidate. And I think that through conversation with Gene Smith and other people who were involved in the decision to hire him, I think the number one thing for him, A, was his background um, in the NFL and his ability to 
draw on different um, coaches from Chip Kelly to Urban Meyer in terms of experience, but they also found somebody who, A, Urban Meyer was very comfortable with, and he had to have learned that long before Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdowns. And B, the most important thing is somebody who wouldn't change everything. Because if you go out and you hire a coach who has already been successful somewhere else or was an up-and-comer who did things a certain way somewhere else and they want to come down and tear down what Urban Meyer did, Ohio State invested millions of dollars and a lot of time and a lot of um, you know, elbow grease to get the program uh, where it is, from everywhere to the way that the things are hanging in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to the way they recruit to the expectations of the fan base. And, and Ryan Day was the perfect candidate because he wanted to come in and you know, be himself, but he also respected what Urban Meyer did enough to know not to change it. And this is like things that you and I have talked about over the years and struggled with. Like, what has Ryan Day done, you know, right now that you could put your finger on and say, this is Ryan Day and it would have been different with Urban Meyer? Because I have a hard time doing that. Like, it feels a lot like it did covering Urban Meyer. Now, press conferences are a little bit different and there isn't really the star status that you get with um, Urban being the head coach, but in terms of everything else, from the recruiting hits to the wins to the playoff game to the battle with Clint, I mean, everything feels the same. And I think that's the number one thing that he brought here, and that's even more important than Dwayne Haskins' development. It's really kind of a remarkable thing, I think, to step into that and have things largely feel the same, but without like compromising who you are as an individual. Cause I don't like Ryan day's not trying to be urban Meyer, but somehow he managed to step right in to basically everything that urban built like seamlessly. And I don't really know how he did that. And it like, we would be interesting to sit down and have like an in-depth conversation with him about it because I don't think a lot of people are wired to do that. You know, just like it's human nature, I think to want to come in and, and shake some things up and he surely he's changed some things like, his office is different. The way the building's laid out is a little different. I'm sure, like, personal interactions with him are different with them or with Urban because they're different people. But largely, you take a 30,000-foot view of the program, a lot of it, like you said, looks very much the same because there wasn't really anything that was broken with it. And that's why Gene made the decision that he made. But there are a lot of pitfalls, I think, that can come with that if for, for the average coach, for the average person to try to step in and replace a legend and just sort of try to drive the, the, the plane or fly the plane that that guy built. And Ryan Day's done it. And I don't, I don't really know how, but and I guess he's only done it for one year, and he had a really talented team when he stepped into the job. But like what he's doing with recruiting now, moving forward, and what I think of him as like an X's and O's guy, I don't have any reason to believe it's going to slip. I, I'm, I'm more optimistic that it's going to somehow even going to improve. And I don't, I don't really know how he pulled that off, and it's hard for me to put in the words like exactly what he's done in his one year and like what I think he's going to do because it seems a little unprecedented. Like I don't know. I'm sure if I racked my brain and tried to think of guy stepping in for a legend and then succeeding automatically. Maybe there's another good example to compare it to, but I can't. I mean, Lincoln Riley did it, yeah, but, but I don't even know if like, he would put Bob Stoops on Urban Meyer's. I would have like seven years ago or eight years ago maybe, but not at the time that they made the switch. Like I feel like Oklahoma made that switch because like Bob Stoops retired, they would have kept them, but I think they were a little stuck in a rut and they needed to, to shake things up a little bit. Like I don't think Ohio State had to shake things up. They would have been fine if Urban stayed on the job and was in a position – health-wise to do it, um, but they made this switch and they were just as good, if not better, anyway. Yeah, and I, I don't know. The reason why it feels the same is because they're still good. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I don't know if it is the Urban Meyer way, it's just the way was winning. And, you know, as much as 
you go back and you think about Urban Meyer's ability to recruit and, you know, the stories that we've heard about him getting on the phone and flipping commitments and being a legend and all the things that he's done, his entire platform of what he built, the foundation of the program is still intact. The recruiting coordinators there, the strength coaches there, a lot of the same assistants like Larry Johnson are there. So players who are being recruited right now have the ability to go to the Ohio State that Ohio State was two years ago, but now they have a younger, probably more relatable, more down-to-earth head coach that makes them feel more comfortable. I think that's probably the reason. And there's no way to compliment Ryan Day without it sounding like an insult to Urban, and that's not what this is because he is, again, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I don't think that every single player that walks into the room wanted to play for him because he was a very intense personality, almost larger than life, and not everybody relates well to that, you know, and that's for good or bad. It's really hard not to relate to Ryan Day. He's just like a nice guy. He's like a smart, on-the-ball guy. But, like, I don't see why anybody would ever walk into his office and go, I don't want to play for this person. But I could see that for Urban Meyer because not everybody loves the intensity and the demanding nature that he has just inherently in his personality. Yeah, I think I think maybe the key difference between the two of them, because I do think they're equally competitive. If you catch... Like I've had conversations with Ryan Day where like that dude he's not he's not lacking for fire and competitiveness. I just think he does a better job of turning it off when it's time to turn it off. And I don't like I think like we said it before, like Urban was was wired to be that way almost all the time. And that's that's a pretty distinct difference. But I, I do agree with you. I think that creates a different kind of aura in the building, people coming in there for the players, for everybody involved in the program. For good or for better or for worse, like I think, obviously the one way is, was proven to be successful because Urban has three national championship rings. I think Ryan Day's way will be will prove or play out to be just as successful. Um, so to go back to the question, but it's also but there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, there's though, a ton of overlap. Too. Yeah, like I think they're they're not yeah, like they're not both ways are very similar. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, but the, to go back to Eric's question, then I, I think what, what you and I are saying then because of all those things. I, I think Urban probably would have retired either way and felt good about giving it off to Ryan, and, and Gene Smith would have felt good about giving it off to Ryan, even if Dwayne Haskins was, um, I don't know, if he threw 40 touchdowns and came back for a second year, wasn't a first-round pick. The thing that changes, and this is no small thing, like Justin Fields is an Ohio State's quarterback right now if, if Dwayne Haskins is not what he was in 2018. And I don't even know, like, Kyle McCord might not be committed. And who knows if C.J. Stroud is here. Like, Jack Miller may, probably would still be here. Because he was committed at least around the same time as Dwayne, if not before, Dwayne kind of went off. But um, I wrote this, I don't know, sometime in the spring when we were trying to think of things to write. I wrote about Urban Meyer's most influential recruits at Ohio State. I put Dwayne Haskins number one because he completely changed the perception of the most important position in the sport for Ohio State, like for as long as Ryan Day's here. And if we're, if the question that Eric's asking is what if Dwayne wasn't quite that good in 2018? Maybe he becomes that in 2019 and he's a first round pick and this process just gets delayed a little bit. But the change presently would be that Justin Fields is an Ohio State's quarterback. Right. And I think that would be a problem. <laughs> but I do think, let me ask you this. How much do you think Urban Meyer's willingness to step down had to do with the ability of feeling comfortable with the person who replaced him. Like, do you think that's just something nice to say at a press conference? Or do you think that that actually played an impact on the way things went down? Like if Ryan Day didn't exist, would have urban stayed for another year? Yeah, I think maybe, I, I mean, I guess ultimately it's not his decision, but yes, I think, I think Ryan, I think urban's knowledge of Ryan Day that he gained over the two years working with him 
weighed fairly heavily in his decision. It, it, it's not his decision, at least in his comfortability with the decision to step down. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of stupid. I, I, not stupid. This is the wrong word. I think it's odd that somebody who was put in his position, largely based on his own actions, but was in his position by the program, would give a shit about who Ohio State hired next. You like, don't think do, it do eats think him that alive Meyer, that people think Florida went into the tank because of his inability to keep that program under control at the end of his tenure? Because I think it eats him alive. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, but I wonder right now, too, if he is sitting in the booth at USC or in Southern California at USC games looking at Ohio State from across the country thinking, like, I, I am the reason this is happening. And, like, if that is a main reason or one of the, one of the main reasons why he felt comfortable stepping down. Like, like it was like handing off his baby to somebody else and that baby had to be as good or better, or better than before because I also think that he's a very competitive man and cares a lot about his legacy. And I'm not sure that he's so pumped up about it being better. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I know I – w- I don't know that I would be just as rash. Like, if you did something great and everybody loved you for it and then the first person who comes in who's never done what you've done in terms of being a head coach comes in and does it better than you, like, I think that makes you look worse. I personally think that the reason why this is happening is because of Urban. And I think that you have to look at what he built as the reason for it. But also, probably would have been a nice ego boost to see them lose three games. <laughs> We've talked about this before. I know it's kind yeah, of crazy. But like, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't want to like put him in a position where we're putting thoughts or words into his mouth. But like, it's just, if I were in his position after that year and the stress with his health and all the things that happened with the Zach Smith stuff, I'm, I'm not sure I would be... Um, picking and choosing what happens with my individual future based on whether or not I think Gene Smith can pick the right next head coach. I don't disagree with that offhand, but I I will say if I were in that position, because it's just the way these things work, fair or not, I would rather Ohio State be what it is now than somehow be worse than when I was there because either way it's a reflection on you. But I would rather the reflection on me be, wow, look what this guy built. Look at the structure that was in place. Look how well he set Ryan Day out for success rather than like Ryan Day took over a dumpster fire. And it's your fault. It's your fault, Urban Meyer, that it worked out that way. Yeah. But I don't know that it ever would have been a dumpster fire, like regardless of who they hired. Because, you know, you know, we, we kind of can go down into the rabbit hole of this thing a little bit. But. Ohio State was one of the most talented teams in America last year, and part of that is because of Justin Fields and what Ryan Day did to get him. And I don't know, without Ryan Day, there's no Justin Fields, and I think I agree with that statement. Um, but I also don't think that they would have lost three or four games had it been a different quarterback and a different person leading the program either. Um, I don't know. I guess we were finding out more about Tate Martell than we, we knew when he was here. Um, and there was another transfer from Matthew Baldwin, and I don't know who their quarterback would have been knowing what we know now but the disaster i don't know i think they i mean an elite level coach makes them undefeated puts them in the playoff and goes wire to wire as a number one team uh with ever without ever coming close to losing a bad coach with that talent i still think finds a way to win 10 or 11 games yeah i, I think so too but <clears throat> we're also in the era where we talked about this before too where the you need the nfl no doubt about it, first-round quarterback, I think, to be a legitimate playoff contender, unless the talent on your roster is so good that you can overcome it. But that's not typically the case. for, for And now we're in a position where the teams that have that talent also have the quarterback. So it's really hard, I think, for anybody else to, to overcome that if you don't have that, that top-of-the-line quarterback. So um, 
Should we go down that line? Should we should we f- play the what if and what if you know Tristan Wallace ends up in Columbus in 2016? My favorite thing in the entire world is changing history, and people tend to like it too because whenever we write stories about it, they seem to to gravitate towards it. Like the Adrian Martinez one I wrote yeah. last year, like that one did pretty well. So I, I I'll go down that line with you, Bill. I go. Anywhere, I think it's like it's this this maybe this is one of those things that just goes understood but i feel like i should say it. like tristan wallace had very serious off the field issues when he didn't go to ohio state and i like we're not trying to um under undersell i guess if that's the right word the importance of that and and it was like it was some of the things that that happened with him at oregon um were pretty serious and and the accusations of it were pretty disgusting um but him not coming to ohio state i guess changed a lot of things but it also really changed the quarterback picture because he was going to be the guy in 2016. Tim Beck helped recruit him. He decided he wanted to play receiver. He went to Oregon. They got back in on Dwayne Haskins, and Haskins was willing to come to Ohio State because Mike, Lock- Mike Loxley didn't get the job at Maryland to uh, succeed Randy Etzel. And that set <clears throat> this whole thing in motion to now where we have Ohio State sitting here with maybe, if not the best quarterback in the country, the second best quarterback in the country in Justin Fields. But let's play the what if. if but, that Bill, happen. just, to, just to, to add something, though, I don't remember off the top of my head um, if he flipped or to Oregon after Ohio. If Wallace flipped to Oregon after Haskins, or if he did it before. But before. didn't he have? Yeah, that's what I thought. And I thought he had a change of heart um, in terms of what position he wanted to play. And I thought he wanted to be like a wide receiver at. He Oregon. did, yeah. And I think even without all the things that happened with Haskins, he might not have signed with Ohio State. They might have had to get. Well, even else. yeah, so, that... like, I don't even know if if like Wallace is the person that. I think the the what if that you go down to is what if Haskins stayed in Maryland and locks like got the job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. yeah, that's a fair point. It doesn't have to be Tristan Wallace. It can be anybody um, because he was going to go play receiver at Oregon. But so if Dwayne Haskins doesn't sign with Ohio State in 2016. Joe Burrow's still on the roster, and Joe Burrow became the greatest quarterback like in the history of college football. I think it's a little dangerous to assume he would have become that in Ohio State. Uh, certainly, he was capable or was possible. But I don't know if we can say definitively that that would have happened. The offenses were different. Um, skill, position, talent was different. Situations totally different. Where is Ohio State today, in your mind, if Dwayne Haskins isn't signed with them in 2016? Defending national champions? With Joe Burrow. With Joe Burrow <laughs> hoisting the trophy. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that crazy? I mean, Joe Brady uh, just got a job with the Panthers because of what he did. Um, so I don't know... Uh, I think that it's – I don't know if it's – you can go back and say that Joe Burrow would have reached the heights that he reached at LSU at Ohio State had he stayed because he had the most perfect season of all time. Statistically, Heisman Trophy, SEC Championship, national title, number one overall draft pick. Like you cannot be better than that. There's no there's no place that that's lacking. But I do think that Ohio State would have been able to develop his skill set and – if ever given really the chance to be the face of the program, I think he would have morphed into what he was because that's his personality. And I think to put it all in the LSU coaching staff's hands and not into what Joe Burrow did to accomplish those things would be a little bit disrespectful to the work that he put in. And I I do think that he would have been on the team last year in that weird fake scenario and Ohio State would have been very, very good with him. And it's not like um, we wouldn't have seen – you know, the ability for Ohio State to be good with Burrow had he stayed. Like, I think that we all knew that he was good enough to be Ohio State's quarterback at one point. 
I think we're all surprised at what happened because who wouldn't be? I'd be surprised if anybody did what he did because that's a surprising thing in general regardless of what your recruiting um, situation was. But he was a high-end three-star, I think. I mean, you you covered him in high school. You said he was one of the best players you ever saw at the high school level. Like, I do think that all the things could have happened in a similar way with different faces leading the way. Now, instead of having a year of Dwayne Haskins, they would have had two of Joe Burrow and none of Justin Fields. Um, so coming into the 2020 season, that kind of would stink that Ohio State wouldn't have fields. Um, and maybe if there is a season this year, fields will come out and have the type of season that Bur- Burrow had last year or similar in the sense of Heisman Trophy, college football playoff, potential national championship. And, and then you might say, well, this all worked out. But, you know, I think it's possible that even with Justin Fields that Ohio State is worse off for missing out on Joe Burrow, which is a crazy thing to say. We haven't seen this. We know with the information that we do have, all I know is that uh, Joe Burrow accomplished the epitome of what it is to be a college quarterback, and Justin Fields has the potential. He just hasn't fulfilled it yet. I think he's going to, um, maybe not to the same extent, but he's going to be in that atmosphere if he's not already. But Ohio State had the best quarterback in the history of college football on its roster in the meat of this discussion. Like, how could we like ignore that? Yeah, I, 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 that's I agree with everything you said. I don't I don't think it would have been all that different up until this point where Justin Fields is no longer here. But I, I, the only way it gets a little wonky for me is if Joe Burrow is a starter in 2018 and is good enough to leave and get drafted. And like, I guess in that scenario, you can just pretend that Justin Fields comes anyway. But I, I think there was a relationship between Fields and Haskins, like through Quincy Avery, that played a role in that too. So I don't know if if the field transfer happens if Joe Burrow is the starting quarterback and is really good and goes on to to be even a first round pick. Maybe it does happen because Ryan Day's offense is enticing either way. Um, but yeah, Burrow. I mean, I don't know. Like I didn't see. No one saw. And the little bit we got to see at Burrow, no one saw what he became at LSU. But that's not to say that he couldn't have gotten there when he was in Columbus. And I do. The word was always that when he and Haskins were coming out of the spring of 2018 that they were close. And I kind of believe that. I don't I never believed it and I was wrong. I I believed it at the time and maybe I was just being naive. Now it's easier to believe it obviously with what Joe did. So I don't think that they would have been any maybe it would have looked different. I don't think maybe it would have been such a wide open passing offense because Joe Burrow can run and <clears throat> that's another fun question. Because for as good as Dwayne Haskins was, the offense was limited a little bit because they couldn't figure out what to do without a quarter, with a quarterback who couldn't run. And I wonder, like, the defense sucks, so maybe they couldn't get over the hump anyway. But if the offense would have been maybe a little better off with Joe than Dwayne, even if it looked a little different, because Joe can run and Joe would have been a more comfortable quarterback for Urban Meyer. Yeah, but Joe also wasn't what he was that year. So I don't know if he would have been, like, if you inserted the 2019 version of Joe in 18, then maybe. Yeah. But I don't think that the Ohio State offense would have been better with the 2018 version of Joe over the 2018 version. I don't think it would have been better. Like statistically, I don't think it would have been better. I think that maybe more a little functional. more functional, like a better rushing team, better in the red zone, not as explosive passing, and maybe in the end that's what what comes up to bite you if you're trying to get to the playoff. But um, functional is a good word. That offense is really good, but had some had some flaws outside of throwing the ball all over the field with Haskins and those receivers. Yeah. But I do think I was ready I was ready to be like 
Yeah, I was ready to rewrite the entire history of Ohio State football over the last three years if Dwayne Haskins had to come here. And I was like, oh, yeah, Joe Burrow was also good. <laughs> Would have been okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just – I think the thing here more so than than all these individual players that we just got done talking about is that Ohio State found itself in, in the opportunity or in the situation where they have Ryan Day. And I think Ohio State is somewhat of an airplane in the sense that it's an autopilot situation where a lot of people could do what it's doing to at least reach 80% of its potential. Um, But we see dips from elite programs all the time in college football, and I think part of the reason why we do is because those coaches don't have the right – or those programs don't have the right coaches in place. And if they don't, sometimes they're they're hard to to recognize it. I think that's kind of what's going on at Michigan right now. Um, And Ohio State's in a position where they have a young 40-year-old guy who – could be the head coach of this team for 12 years um, moving forward or 15 years or maybe even longer. And that is more important than any individual season or any individual player. Um, And I think that Dwayne Haskins and the way everything panned out obviously played a a role in this. I do think Ohio State could have gotten into the position where Ryan Day was their head coach had Haskins stayed at Maryland or Joe Burrow been Ohio State's quarterback the last two years, even without Justin Fields. Maybe we wouldn't be so confident that that Ryan Day is the guy if they were operating in a world now where um, Joe Burrow were the quarterback and he didn't reach his potential. But I do think that it still kind of would have worked out the same. And I think um, they would have a very talented roster heading into the 2020 season. Who is Ohio State's quarterback going into this year in that scenario where Joe Burrow has been the start of the last two years? C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Yeah, I would buy that they could still get Stroud. Yeah, I mean, I also don't know if Matthew Baldwin would have left, and then if Matthew Baldwin were still on the roster, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten injured and then called it a career at TCU. And, like, that's, like, again, back to the future stuff. But, like, Baldwin left because they brought in somebody who, um, as a transfer, who was going to start the next two years who there was no way that he could beat out. Like, if everything remained the same on the roster and Joe Burrow just happened to be awesome – I don't think that it would have been much to leave over because you committed into that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And like, it's possible that Matthew Baldwin, a healthy Matthew Baldwin, could be the starting quarterback in twenty twenty two. Is there any way that I can finagle this to make Tate Martell Ohio State starting quarterback going into this year? I don't. Great. Think so no. Man, we'll talk about heartbreak. I just like the thing about it is, I was watching this YouTube video of Johnny Manziel highlights. And not to go off on too much of a tangent, but Tate Martell had the physical ability to do the same things. Like, I don't think that Johnny Manziel was, like, so much better of an athlete than Tate that there was no way that he could have been an exciting football player. The problem with him is that I think he should have gone to a middle-level school or a place like A&M that was big enough and cared about football a lot, where he could still maintain his celebrity and do his ab pictures but also not have had to sit behind other players for three or four years at a powerhouse so that he would have been given the opportunity to play early and would have remained bought in. And I like, and I don't know what happened with Tate at Miami or why he never got his chance, but like if he would have just committed to Washington, like he did at a ninth grade and stayed committed to Washington, where did he, where was he committed to before Ohio state again? I forget. A&M. And he would have just gone to a and I don't know what would have happened with Kellen Mond, but like if he would have been in an opportunity to play at the end of his freshman year or sophomore year, I think there was a chance it could have worked better because he didn't have a 
selfish, bad first year at Ohio State. I think he he bought in. The coaches loved him from at least what they were saying. Like, I just don't think he should have gone to Ohio State. Yeah, I think Urban loved him, and I think there are reasons to love a guy like Tate. He's got a lot of juice. He's he is pretty athletic, and he's a really good running running quarterback. I still think that remains the case. Um, he was just never going to be a fit for Ryan Day. And I don't know what Ohio State would have become had Urban stayed on the job and actually given Tate a chance to be the starter, but I just don't think it was ever going to happen with Ryan. because, like, The thing Ryan says all the time is you have to have an extraordinary trait, which like is all-encompassing. I think extraordinary trait is within the confines of your throwing ability, whether that's accuracy, timing, anticipation, arm strength, whatever. I think that's where that extraordinary trait has to come, and then you figure out the rest. And I just don't think Tate was a good enough passer for Ryan to feel comfortable. And what would you say uh, Justin Fields' extraordinary trait is? Just everything? <laughs> accuracy. Like, is it just pure athleticism? Accuracy, arm strength. Um, or the, I mean, in terms of throwing, accuracy and arm strength are the two. I think he can get a little better with the anticipation. Um, that's more of a, of a mental thing, I think, than a, f- a physical thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he can make every throw. Which is a cliche thing people say about every good quarterback, but it's true for him. He can throw the ball anywhere. I think his extraordinary trait is that he his trait is that he doesn't have the DNA makeup of normal humans. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a second um, when we get to Bruce Feldman's freaks list. But first, I want to I want to yeah. ask, I want to sneak in a question from the mailbag uh, from Ryan D, which might be Ryan Day. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Day. <laughs> he asked, "Who were your favorite rappers the year you graduated high school?" I want to know yours first. I mean. <laughs> so I graduated high school in 2006 and like my musical tastes in high school were like very much, very much emo pop punk stuff. Like, why are you talking about that in the past tense? Like that's not still the case. It is very much still the case. Unfortunately, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, so I didn't listen. I've never, I've listened to rap like off and on, but never like super got into it. So like my favorite rappers when I graduated high school were like Kanye West and Lil Wayne because they were everyone's favorite rappers. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty. In two thousand five, were you a, what year were you in high school? Were you a sophomore or a junior? Uh, I I graduated. I was a fall of 05, I was a senior. So spring of 05, I was a junior. Okay, so like I graduated high school in 05. and everybody on earth, whether you liked rap music or not, was listening to Fifty Cent. Can't rich can't uh, get rich or die trying. Like that was like the official rap hip-hop album of cave creek arizona like i don't and i think that's been that was like probably the the number one um album in the world i think that might have been the most successful rap album of all time i don't know if that's actually the case anymore with in terms of like downloads or numbers or whatever because that was before that time but like everybody loved that record but like i think the the obvious uh, answers for like the most um Famous are just Kanye West and Jay-Z and all those guys, you know? But, like, my favorite rappers have always been a little bit different because I'm kind of a hip-hop head. Right, Bill? I try to shove it down his throat on every road trip. But I like Common. I like Talib Kweli. Um, you know, like, some of the actual hip-hop uh, artists, not so much the ones that we heard on the radio, but, like, Little Brother and, and all those guys um, were my favorite. And I liked, you know, Joel Santana and the Diplomats and all those guys. And I really miss them because they don't make music anymore. But, uh 2005 was a glorious year, and I once got a speeding ticket um, going 79 miles an hour on a 40. Shout out to my dad. Um, and I was listening to rap music. I was just hyped. <laughs> <laughs> Oldsmobile Intrigue, just windows down, heat blazing. 
I've been to uh, I've been to two rap concerts, and they're like calling them rap concerts is probably giving them too much credit in my life. One was I saw Jay Z with Justin Timberlake at Hershey Park Stadium. It's a great show. It wasn't really a rap concert. And the other one, uh, I went to the Honda Civic tour between my uh, I think between my freshman and sophomore year of college. It was in New Jersey, and uh, got very drunk. And went to see the tour, which was like the headliner was Fall Out Boy, but I'm, I'm on the bill was Paul Wall. So I got to watch Paul Wall do a rap concert. Yeah. I'm not going to join you on that journey, but I love the like Jay Z, Justin Timberlake world tour stuff that was happening like right in the early years of our college days. It's like, so it was like the perfect concert for every single person on campus. Because <laughs> right. you either love Jay-Z or you love Timberlake. And I don't think there was like a Venn diagram where those people in the middle that don't like either. Uh, and it was like a really good – I think there was one at the University of Arizona campus that I went to. And I went to a Kanye concert at McHale Center where Arizona plays basketball. And it was just like the first rap concert in arena that I went to where like he came down. Like it wasn't even like a rap show like where – my favorite type of rap shows, I saw Talib Kweli in college. Um, in a arena with, I mean, in a theater, like where like the theater students like did their like shows and plays and stuff with like 150 other people. And that to this day was the best concert that I've ever gone to. And I will ever go to because I like those intimate hip hop shows where everybody knows the, the, the lyrics and everybody's in it together. And at that show, um, Talib Kweli was um, singing a song from Black Star, and like we didn't know Most Def was there. And then when Most Def's verse came, he came out from the side of the stage and started doing his verse, and the entire place went. That's pretty like, wild. I, I yeah. thought it was an earthquake. <laughs> yeah, just like another famous person that we all love that we didn't even know was there just comes out to ring. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and like shows just aren't like that anymore. It's like, oh, you want to go see like the newest rap? Go ahead and book it at Schottenstein Center and sit in the rafters. Like it's just that's not to me what I think a good hip hop show is about. And that's why I always wish I like lived in New York because in New York there's all a bunch of hip hop shows that are like the ones that I saw at Arizona. I've recently discovered that uh currently the the hip hop music that appeals to me is basically just the rap version of the emo songs that I was listening to when I was a teenager. So like lately I've been listen like I'm talking like lyrically uh and thematically. So lately the I've been listening to like Juice World, <laughs> which is like I don't know, I'm 31 years old. I don't know if I should be listening. It's a very very depressing album. <laughs> I don't I can't listen to it. Um yeah, depressing is like kind of right up my alley. And I'll, like Little Uzi Vert I think is like that too. Yeah, well he's from Philly and that's, I know that you like to rip with your own guys, we grew up you know. Together. No, but like I tried to listen to the Juice World album and it was just like knowing what happened to him. Like I I couldn't. Like you could like it's like it happened with Mac Miller too. It's like I don't want to listen to a record that is like the warning signs of an eventual overdose. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it just, it's tough. Yeah. Anyway, we'll transition out of that, uh, <laughs> dour note into Bruce Feldman's freaks list. <laughs> wrap up, uh, this episode of 46 with AMB. You get it all on this podcast, everything. Bill. Get, I mean, you, you get, get it everything. all. Uh, I love Bruce's freaks list. It's one of my favorite things of the college football preseason came out on Tuesday Two Ohio state players. I don't think there were any Ohio state players on it last year. And there are two on it this year. Master Teague, is number seven, which I was su- wasn't surprised to see him on the list, but surprised to see him that high. Tommy Togiai was number forty-two. I thought he would have been higher. And to give a little background on this, because I had a conversation with Mickey Marotti last year when I was writing a story about how freaky Tommy Togiai is, and I asked him like, "Why isn't Tommy on Bruce's freaks list?" And and Mick said, "Well, I don't normally put guys out like that for stuff like that. He doesn't like to give out the numbers or, or pump guys up in that kind of way. But apparently, he did it this year. At least somebody at Ohio State did because Bruce got info." 
Well, both Teague and Togi. Uh, Teague had a 40-inch vertical and a 4.3540, which like I knew he was fast. I didn't realize he was that fast and that explosive. I was kind of taken aback by that. And then Togi is just – he's a 300-pound guy who bench presses 500 pounds and runs a sub-540. Like he is, he is the freakiest of the freaks. But my main question with this list, and we don't have Bruce Feldman on this podcast because why would he come down here and hang out with us? Uh, how Justin Fields is not on this list? Did you see the picture of him that Ohio State tweeted out the other day when they got back on the field with workouts? Yeah, yeah. that like he looks like a looks yeah. like a, a linebacker. Cam yeah, Newton? like how, yeah. Is he, how is he not on this list? He's six three, two twenty five, two thirty. He's cut up like a, I've never seen a quarterback cut up before, and he's really fast and really athletic too. I was uh, I was expecting to see him on here, and he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah, I know, and it's like he wasn't actually the one. The thing that I like about this list, and I think people hate about the list sometimes, and the reason why this is so popular is because people love screaming about it, is that like he doesn't always put the most obvious people on there because it's just like wouldn't be interesting if he just like was like Justin Fields number seven. Like eighty percent of the people who read this don't know who Master Teague is. So like like learning about new players, I think it's kind of the beauty of this. So I do think that there aren't a lot of people who are physically shaped <laughs> the way that Fields is or have the ability in terms of speed and arm strength at quarterback. And I certainly think that he belongs on the list. But like the bigger omission, in my opinion, based on what I know about these these um, players on this Ohio State roster, was Harrison. Now he got mentioned in the um, Togi I section, which I think was prudent, but. You're the one with the sneakers running in the rain story. I mean, he he is about as freaky as any athlete that Ohio State's ever... I mean, I also don't think that Chase Young made it last year. So, like, there's a certain criteria to it that that it's like... I think that, like, lack of obviousness is a good thing. So, I mean, I'm, this isn't questioning his reporting. and He is amazing, like, at everything. And I want to be Bruce Feldman when I grow up. But it's a little bit more nuance than just who are the most obvious ones he had a guy on there from northern iowa who looks like uh he's built like jake long jake long was like one of the most oddly built people i've ever seen in my life because he was like so broad and gigantic and weighed 300 pounds but didn't look like it and this guy on you and i who's another offensive tackle like looks like they just cloned jake long and i would have never known about that guy had i not read bruce's list so i agree with you i think that's the fun part of it is finding guys you never heard of before but how is justin feels on this list We'll have to get Bruce on next week. He'll come on. I don't know if he will. I bet you if we had him on for 20-minute segment to discuss what he found out about Master Teague and Tommy Togia, he would 1,000%. All right. This is an official invitation to Bruce Feldman to uh, lower his standard of podcast and come on the 4 to 6 of the AMB and chop it up with me and Ari. You think he'll do it, really? You get to go on Andy's show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I lower myself all the time and go on Andy's show. Yeah, I thought you were going to say to I thought you were going to say to come on the show. That would have been funnier. <laughs> no, I know. I was trying to be nice to you, but I know that your inherent uh, first reaction to things is always to be negative. But I'm a positive That's not guy, true. and I prop each other. We prop That's each not other true up. at all. I'm very positive. Yeah, <clears throat> positive. The show is over. Uh, thank you for listening to Four to Six with A and B. We appreciate you guys uh, supporting what we do. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to The Athletic. I'll plug it one more time, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Get you 40% off. Uh, I think we'll have some clarity sometime in the next week or so, at least on what Ohio State's schedule might look like for the fall if they try to get it going. Um, speaking of Bruce, he made a good point on his show with Stu, the Audible, about the NCAA Board of Governors meeting this week, and, and maybe there's some fallout uh, 
in terms of the fall schedule that might come from that. So we'll see. Uh, we'll keep plugging away, previewing Ohio State's 2020 season. We hope it happens. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.